Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is Roxy. Roxy is an internet friend of mine. Uh, I've kind of overlapped with in several communities with her over the years. Uh, most recently, she's been a, a big supporter, and she was even a guest on my side podcast, Monster of the Week. Um, today, we, we talk about her history with the Souls games, and uh, it's... Number one, refreshing to have kind of a co-op focused uh, perspective on all of these things. And number two, it's always nice when people say good things about Dark Souls 2. So to all the Dark Souls 2 lovers out there, I hope you enjoy the episode. first experience with Souls game actually came through podcasting communities, um, and funnily enough, the reason that I got into Dark Souls was because my D&D game ended up fizzling out, um, so I was listening to podcasts at the time to kind of, like, stay in touch with that idea of, like, being part of a community and having, like, a, a conversation with a bunch of people that you like, and I ended up finding Kane and Rents, and, uh, James Carter over there is, uh, known as one of the, um, resident souls folk like if you ever say anything about souls on twitter he'll end up popping in and like just being super glad to help you out with anything and uh james is such a such a nice guy man he's he's just so yes. he's so sweet when he when he guessed on this podcast i like i think i was like where'd you first encounter the souls games and then at the like i don't think i spoke again until i was like okay that's gonna be enough <laughs> we're done <laughs> like i don't think i had to prod him at all he just jumped right in um, but yeah i, I originally found them through him talking about them and then i found bonfire side chat over on the duck feed network um and at the time like this was about whenever i want to say right a couple months before dark souls 2 had even been teased or announced so i jumped in and they had just gotten done finishing up like the entire dark souls like wrapped up the uh the full story and everything and all the optional areas and we're going into demon souls so I ended up um, picking up Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition because I'm a huge fan of fantasy and swords and sorcery and the like. And I also really like RPGs. So the main draw to it for me was like the setting and the idea of like this lore that was kind of inscrutable that you had to uh, approach through like stat blocks on weapons, which was amazing to me because it it ended up being like back in the day whenever I didn't have a like a gaming group to get together with I would pick up the source books from like tabletop games and I would read through them and one of the things that you would see is like the like stat blocks for uh, like a wondrous item or like an artifact and they would have like some fluff or some like attached story about like why this item is as cool as it is and Dark Souls was basically that but without all of the like world building and like paragraphs upon paragraphs of like here's how to play the game and here's how the uh <laughs> you know everything works within the world and here's all of like the gods in the pantheon and all that it's like nope you get one intro and you have to find everything else out by like reading through and just kind of like piecing it together yourself so it like really appealed to that side of me and uh when i first got into it i bounced off of it really really hard from because, a mechanical uh, perspective or uh well okay so the the pc version of prepare to die edition on steam is not great it uh it's a pretty bad port and it was only at like 30 fps 
locked at 720 and had a lot of bugs. Like Blight Town was horrible on the Xbox 360, but on PC it was abysmal. And while that there were mods at the time, like I wasn't used to modding and um, I really could never get the connectivity um, fixed to work. So I played through Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition super broken, like barely even functional. So to me, like that was such a hard thing to get past was just how rough that it was. And I had played games like Duv- uh, New Vegas in the past and like same with them bounced off of it because I, I didn't know how to mod it. And like later on that, you know, that would become one of my favorite games because I finally figured out how to fix this janky ass game that had a lot going on with it. But uh, so because of that, Dark Souls, I ended up like completely and utterly putting down at first until I ended up finding Bonfireside Chat and listening through and getting a lot more uh, just immersed within the story itself and the lore and the walk, like the way that they would walk you through each single level and talk about like, okay, you know, here's an encounter that's coming up and like this is kind of what that teaches you and once you get past that, like, there's this little thing over there, like, having a, you know, that simulated conversation around it, because I didn't have a lot of people who were playing Souls at the time, like, people were talking about it on podcasts, but a lot of people were kind of scared to keep mentioning it over and over again, because everyone was talking about Dark Souls. (laughs) So I was able to go back and play through it again, but, like, it was kind of like a hate playthrough, because I just could not get on with the, just the mechanic of it, like, And I've played games before, like Monster Hunter, that required you to have, like, you know, have stamina bar and dodge rolls and things like that. So it wasn't completely and utterly alien to me, but whenever it just was so semi-functional and so rough, like, it took a lot of, of work to love it. But eventually I ended up getting through it, and because of that, I was super hyped for Dark Souls 2 especially since they were saying that there was going to be a great PC port coming out that they were actually investing in. <laughs> so for me, like Dark Souls really started with Dark Souls 2 as in like being able to truly enjoy it from like a functionality point. Like from Dark Souls 1, I I love the world, I love the setting, like I I think that it's great. I think that it has one of the best uh environments and I I love the interconnectivity of it, but woof, that was just that was not a good way to start off the series. Like, even though that I love it, like it is an ugly, ugly child. It's a, um, that PC port is, is something pretty terrible. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's remarkable. Like, I don't, if you were playing, I don't know when you played it, but um, like there was even like a pre steam version that relied on like game for windows live, a service that doesn't even exist Ooh. anymore. Like it's oh, no, yeah, yeah. I used to, I had hate mail from people from that service. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it was very, very bad. Like nothing like making you use like some weird interface to play a video game. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. Namco. Yeah, and playing that game originally, whenever everyone talked about how much of like a community experience it was and not having the connectivity of it, ended up making it this barren and lonely experience. And while that was fun, like it was super lonely and it I didn't get to experience a lot of the stuff like, oh, invaders and like co op besides NPCs and things like that. So I you know, I got on with the game and I got super into it and listening to the podcast and getting into the the greater community, but I didn't feel like that I had gotten the real experience until I played Dark Souls 2. And once I started with Dark Souls 2, which um, was the first time that like I had actually got on on 
like the ground floor on a launch. Usually I have to wait for uh, a couple of years or a steam sale to go on because I don't have a lot of money to throw around. Um, and like Dark Souls 2, at the time I was, uh, I was dating a guy that he was just here, take this. I know that you love Dark Souls so much and you just want to talk about it to somebody like I can't stand the fact that you're like so excited and I don't want you to miss out on this. So, you know, I, like I accepted it gratefully and, uh, ended up playing Dark Souls like two all the way through. And because of that, um, I ended up convincing my then friend at the time to pick up Dark Souls 2 to co-op with it and spent more time with him than I did with my boyfriend at the time. And that relationship dissolved. But uh, because of that time that I spent with my friend, we uh, ended up bonding a lot and he ended up becoming my now partner. Oh, nice. Dark Souls (laughs) literally bringing people together. I love it. Mm -hmm. I am... I'm curious. Was that PC port of Dark Souls Two any good? I don't. I don't. I don't really remember. I never played on PC before. So, oh yeah, it was like it was fully functional. The connectivity was fine. Like the the main problem being with Dark Souls Two soul level, like the soul memory being a, a main factor in like having to deal with like co-oping and PvP, keeping that you know leveled out. But uh other than that, no, we had absolutely no issues with jumping in with each other. And that began our uh, our kind of like love affair with going through the Souls games together because he wouldn't really have jumped in if not for me. Like he has kind of like a bad sense of direction and the Souls games do not hold your hand at all. Like he's not like terrible at video games in any way, shape or form. He's way more experienced than I am, but he probably would have just been like so lost if not for me to be there like to sherpa him along and be like we've already been in that area over there like you know we're coming up on this thing so like i had played the game before and was trying to kind of impart like my love affair with the series to him so like the entire time we went through uh two like we got through the base game and right as the dlc got uh came out ended up picking it up and then scholar of uh the First Sin ended up coming out after that, and we played through that as well. So we had no issues with like being able to connect to each other. And since they ended up adding in the, uh, oh, what is it the the ring that has the like the oh the name engraved ring that allows you to set the different gods mm-hmm. that has the uh, basically locks your world or your sign to where that you can be summoned in. Um, we ended up using that a lot, and that was just a godsend because. Um, before we ended up figuring that mechanic out, it was like, okay, I put my sign down here. Is that you picking me up? Is that, oh, no, shit. <laughs> uh, I got a black separation crystal out. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, the the trick in Dark Souls 1 was always like, go break some barrels and then put your sign under that so that, that nobody else could see it unless they broke the same barrels. <laughs> like Just doing stupid shit like that to be able to connect to your friends. And like Dark Souls 2 at the time was so maligned by a lot of people and I, I ended up loving it a lot because you know that was really my first dark souls experience that that works and it was the first time that i got to experience in <laughs> i got to experience the conversation but the conversation wasn't good <laughs> the conversation was really negative around it it's like y'all like this this game works it's like but it's not dark souls one and i'm like but guys dark 
Dark Souls One has some problems, and it's like, oh god, they pulled out the pitchforks and torches. I'm, I'm backing down. I'm going my hole now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised at the reception of Dark Souls Two. Like, I remember playing it and um, expecting something that I, I definitely didn't get, which was a direct sequel to Dark Souls One. Um, and I had like mechanical, like in PvP problems with Dark Souls Two, but I never understood the amount of backlash that it got for. Because it brought so much new to the table, like we, like I'd love to see a follow up and you know for power stancing. Um, it's you know power stancing ended up adding in so much fun with like dual weapon play and yeah. added just another layer onto it. Um, I know that the parry system people weren't really happy with, but like I never learned to parry anyway, so that never was an issue for me. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just like Miss Dodge Roll over here, <laughs> and I think that that kind of comes from the fact that I played like. Devil May Cry and like uh, Monster Hunter, so those you know, their your main verb set in those is roll, and it's like the idea of standing still and, and like waiting for the hit to connect to me was just so alien. Even yeah. if it's super cool, whenever you can get that crit off, like I I barely am able to do it, so I just never touched it. But like I I liked the fact that Dark Souls Two took it in a different direction because we got to see an entirely different kingdom and how they handle well multiple like kingdoms really but this new continent that and how they handled the curse of the undead and like how information had kind of degraded since then and it's like they've they explore the the themes and like while not exactly the sequel that like people wanted it it made me think a whole lot more about like oh you know what what is the curse of the undead and like why you know why are they using human effigies instead of like actual humanity like is you know is that concept not does not exist anymore like you know are these undead different like it it started the wheels turning and of course got me excited to do like a lot of lore dive and while most of it was once again inscrutable and kind of like leaves more questions than to be answered like it was fun to be you know kind of a part of that conversation as it was going on and like you know well well, you know, it's like, what about King Vendrick and like, you know, and Asandra and like, what about the, uh, it's like the daughters of Manus and it's like, are they the daughters of Manus? Do we know that that's true? Like, or, you know, <laughs> was that mostly but like then you podcast have, uh, and, and various communities where you hitting YouTube and like looking at body and E&B stuff or just trying to find anything I, and everything? By then I had been on Twitter. So okay. I had found like, uh, I had started talking with like the Canaan Rent folks like Joshua Garrity and uh, James Carter, um, Paul Rooney for a little while. Um, and there was a a group that I was rolling with at the time um, that were doing a, a podcast called Digital Gonzo that's now known as School of Movies. And they uh, their community was talking about Dark Souls 2 a lot, trying to get into the series. And there was a lot of people who you know, had the misconception like uh, I did whenever I got into the series that this is, you know, that these games are just so goddamn hard. And it's like, the games are hard, but, you know, they're fair. And whenever you know how to approach it and you have people to, like, actually tell you what's going on since the game doesn't tutorialize to you at all, it, you know, it becomes a lot more fun, at least in my opinion. Like, I've seen a lot of people just completely put the games down and be like, no, nah, this is not for me. But I, um, I was able, because of playing through Dark Souls and, like being part of the uh, the conversation c- leading up to Dark Souls too, like to be able to help out other people and like that felt really nice. Like I, I enjoyed actually uh, diving into 
like an active side of that instead of the passive side of like watching videos on YouTube. Cause like I found like Vada videos, uh, prepare to cry. And then, um, I ended up looking into like, uh, Oh, Epic name bro. And, uh, their deep dives on like long plays. And those were really cool. Um, Lobos Jr., the Patience Elemental. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> I've recorded two episodes today, and uh, both guests, yourself included, called made that exact comment. Lobos Jr., the Patience <laughs> Elemental. <laughs> um, do you, I mean, you've mentioned that you're playing through a lot of this stuff co-op. Um, do you ever go pl- play through these by yourself, or is it primarily a, a social experience for you? Um, the first time that I played through with Dark Souls and Dark Souls 2, I played through solo, because... Well, I didn't have anyone to play with on Dark Souls 2 originally until I convinced my friend and now partner, uh, Nubish, to end up joining on with me. But, of course, with Dark Souls on the PC, I couldn't summon anyone anyway. So uh, those first times I went through solo. And with Dark Souls 3, I attempted a solo play because I, I picked up the copy before Nubish could pick it up. And um, I I could not get through that game by myself so I, I put it down and waited for him to pick it up. Like, I'll, I'll eventually get to Dark Souls 3 in this conversation. But, like, oh, man, my thoughts on that game. Like, it, it's it's so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so and so you play through Dark Souls 2. Uh, you're playing through primarily with your, with, with your partner, Nubish. Um, you, you're clearing out everything. Like, are you guys both doing different builds at that point? Like, do you play through a second time or is that, is it a one and done experience for the two of you? Okay. Um, so typically his build was a sorcerer build because he's always been really big into like magic users and, uh, staying at a range. Like usually he likes to play support, but, um, a lot of the faith doesn't give you opportunities to use it offensively. So like sorcery ended up being the draw to him. Um, and, for him, that's like been his kind of win button to just like stand back and be able to great heavy soul arrow something to death. Um, for me, I ended up playing a uh, my like my first time through. I ended up playing just sword and board long sword for Dark Souls two. Um, Dark Souls one was a uh, a faith spear build that I ended up working with. Um, because I, since I couldn't parry, I was hiding behind a great shield and was using a spear to poke everything to death. I, I was <laughs> not skilled at all, and I had that faith to be able to use those extra uh, levels of heal. Because I, I didn't have the right of kindling, to be fair, whenever I first played through. So I, I was going through just like, all right, well, the maximum that I have is like ten Estus, if and some of these bonfire only give me five Estus, so I, I gotta you know just I gotta deal with. It. <laughs> And since I hadn't figured that out, like I, I, you know, I stuck with the like spear and shield build until two after I had got a lot of knowledge in me and watched a lot of videos. I was like, all right, I'm going to try and do a straight sword build. So I ended up doing straight sword and faith, and he was a uh, sorcerer build for uh, our first playthrough of two. And then when we got to Scholar of the First Sin, and that came out, we wanted to see the uh, DLC and all the new placement that everything had been added in and some of the new lore. So. I ended up going through that with a uh, two-handed claymore and like no shield. Uh, that was a really fun run too because we ended up fighting Fume Knight and oh, 
oh man, if if you've never fought Fume Knight with a two-handed weapon, like not having that ability to block is just so harrowing. Like <laughs> I, it was basically not having the safety blanket that I had grown up with for like so long. I was just like, all right, I'm out in the cold, dead world now. Like no one cares. <laughs> I love that Fume Knight fight uh, quite a bit. It was it was really hard for me on my DLC run when I first first got through it. But uh, it's one of those fights that just like Artorias, like once you get it, it kind of clicks. But it's still not quite easy. Like you still have to be kind of on your game and and, and and making sure that you're you're dodging correctly and doing all of the correct things. And it's extremely satisfying to kill him. Oh yeah, and I had so we had so much trouble with that. Like we were burning down to the bottom of our uh, our human effigies. Like hardcore and we were sitting there going okay what areas can we go back and like bonfire aesthetic so that we can get more human effigies like really quickly like you know where can we do like non-critical changes to the area so that if we new game plus this like it it won't just be completely and utterly knocking us into the dirt um and eventually whenever we got like that was such a like feeling of elation and it's like, and like you said, you, you know, you bond through playing Dark Souls together when you go through and like face all these different challenges and like have to work together. And there's a lot of situations that, uh, you know, you, you get really frustrated at and you end up having to work through it and like be able to forgive each other for things. And it's like you kind of grow as people through it or like end up breaking relationships down because you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did. Have you played Bloodborne? I, I talked to you quite a bit on, uh, on various platforms. I do not have platforms. a PS4, yeah. but I've experienced Bloodborne through multiple playthroughs, speed runs, like listening through Bonfire Side Chat. So I'm like, I'm obsessed with Bloodborne. I haven't gotten to experience it firsthand, but I've seen enough of Bloodborne that like I am completely and utterly in love with it. The aesthetic <laughs> is just, I, I love like the the Gothic Victorian uh, style and like the Lovecraftian elements, like the cosmic horror and the uh, just the way that they handled inside. I, I love little twists like that in the game where you're just like, oh, nothing is actually what you think that it is. Like, we're pulling the rug right out from under you. Like, And From Software has been great about mechanically, like, putting in, uh, you know, game mechanics as, like, narrative. So, you know, the whole idea of, like, humanity and people, like, the uh, the transient nature of the realms, like, crossing and you not being the main, you know, the the chosen undead, allowing you to, like, co-op with other spirits that are, you know, crossing over into your world. It's like, or the, you know, souls being your currency and uh, whenever you lose, the, you know, whenever you die, you come back alive because you're an undead. So it's like, for them to take insight and actually have it have double meaning of, like, not only is this a like an item that you can crunch and use but like the more that you have of it the more of the world that you know and you might not actually want that <laughs> is it is it frustrating like watching all this stuff and kind of being in love with the game but not being able to play it it is but at the same time like i i've seen so much of it at this point like i i know that even if i was like doing it my own self like i would just be able to take a little bit more time to stare at things and kind of like turn over this unique like eldritch skull that you know i have discovered <laughs> and it's like i'm just i'm i'm thankful that it, the souls community exists and such the conversation around it exists that like you can be a part of it without having to to own a ps4 because that's a, a lot to to like invest in just a single system for like i love the souls game so much but for me like i'm i'm mainly a pc gamer because it, it keeps me able to like afford this like yeah it's a 
a really expensive investment, like uh, on the you know front end of things. But like, whenever I'm able to maintain it and keep up with like, you know, I'm always like a year or so behind with games anyway. It's like it, it's a real hard sell for me to be able to pick up something like that, even though that I wanted it. Like I wanted it real bad, but it's like I, I had to stick with like Dark Souls three and you know going back to Scholar of the First Sin multiple times because. We ended up really loving that game, like thoroughly. It's it's. Uh, t- tell me more about that because I'm I'm curious what what was what the hooks got into you. <clears throat> um, I have to say, like just right off the bat, Majula. Whenever you walk into the Majula and you see that just the sun dappled ocean and like the coastal like vista and that that bell that those those soft lullaby chimes come in and you kind of get the sense of like wow you know this is this this one little bastion that of like comfort that exists within this fairly hostile world like right off of the bat and from there you know it it gave me that same sense of like being at firelink and i have all these different directions there's a pit down there there's a you know there's a gate that's locked over here that I don't know how to open just yet, but there's a path that leads to the right that goes to Hades. There's, you know, the, uh, the path that goes to the force of fallen giants. And it just feels so big. Like it feels so massive, like that you could just get lost. And I mean, you can, but at the same time, it's a lot more linear than the previous souls games. So, you know, you're able to just like head in a direction and eventually you're going to either get to the end of that area or it's going to branch off into a completely and utterly different area. And there's always something new around those corners. Um, like the forest of fallen giants, how that it, it steadily shifted from like that small like stream that had the uh, undead around it that, you know, basically teach you of like drawing out one at a time and like fighting uh, these massive groups. Cause they up the, the enemy placement so much for dark souls too. Like it, it's a lot more dense and you're having to manage a, a whole lot more aggro. So being able to like go th- like look at the way that it like breaks itself down when you get up the tower and like you have your first encounter to where that like you can, you know, kick someone over the edge because there's that, uh, that crossbow archer that you can get up to that plinks down on you when you're in the, uh, the little, um, a courtyard. That's what courtyard. I was trying to think okay. of the war. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so you, and you get up to the courtyard and there's all these corpses laying around and there's a knight that's sitting up against the tree that looks, you know, super imposing, but you walk up to the knight and it doesn't aggro, but the other corpses, you know, stand up and all of a sudden you're in a, you know, a large area that if you're trying to kite these people around, you're picking up more of them. So you're learning like, okay, so I need to be a lot more aware of like where the enemy placement is and where I can like tether and pull these people away from them so that I can like pleat them one at a time. And it's like just that, like that first area, how it shifts around you eventually get to the point of like the, uh, the broken down and like ramshackle buildings that lead to um, the cartographer who's hiding back in that cave and you have all the uh, the rangers that are attacking you, and you have to learn how to jump from like building to building if you want to find the critical path to get uh, the cartographer and his key to unlock the mansion in Majula. And it's just there were so many characters included in the game as well. Like NPCs were just all over the place. It seemed while Dark Souls was very lonely and sparse. Like the NPCs that were there, I, I loved. Like Onion Boy is one of my favorite 
like NPCs of all time. I love that armor design to death. And it's like Solaire has, you know, been the most solid of bro, like the entire time throughout the, the souls community. They've, you know, we've uplifted him as a deity and of himself, but like most of the time, you know, crestfallen was the one that was usually <laughs> at Firelink until he ended up going hollow. And like, I ended up giving the, uh, the pyromancy teacher, the the chaos pyromancy, like super early, so I, I ended up losing him right off of the bat, and <laughs> it's like I didn't find the sorcerer teacher because I wasn't interested in any of the of sorceries and didn't have you know didn't realize what that key was for, so didn't find him either. And it's Larry. like while they were really in- yeah into the swamp. <laughs> and it's like since most of those you know characters had like super bad ends, it was very interesting to come across like Majula and have like, there's, you know, a blacksmith that's sitting outside of his workshop and it's like, he's steadily rotting, but he's like, I don't have any access to my tools because some jackass has locked me out of my, like this building. And it's like, there's a, a, you know, already a merchant there right off the bat that is like, Hey, you know, I, I came here too from, you know, far away. And it's like, by the way, if you heard about the blue order, those guys are, you know, are no good. Uh, please buy some stuff. And it's like, steadily you buy more stuff from him like he you know his greed kind of overcomes him and like i i think that another draw of that uh seer like that shift in the series was how like the effects that being undead had on you and like dying over and over again or like just being immortal like rotting your brain and that like the nature of every single time you die suffering through it and like getting back up and remembering that you died, but like losing a piece of yourself was like horrifying, but also really like engaging to me. So like all these people who are like steadily losing themselves to the curse and you're, you know, you're watching that happen and you're, you're just trying your best to like, you know, do your duty while watching them fall apart. And it's like, you have to take use of their, you know, their resources and like their services. Cause Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do it as you know efficiently or easily. But like, it's you know, with him, it's like the more that you give him, the the more he forgets who he is, and eventually is just like you know, it's like I'm rich. I'm <laughs> where where am I? <laughs> it's uh, it's really interesting to me that I mean, it's there's been enough ink spilled on Dark Souls NPC storylines, but it's uh, it's always fascinating that you know, no matter what you do with these characters, hardly any of them end up happy at all. And oh the, yeah, it's a horrible world. And the best thing you could possibly do is just never speak to any of them. Like that's probably the <laughs> like that's the mo- the best favor you can do for anybody. I'm just gonna let you be, and I'm gonna go about my way because I am poison to everything that I touch. <laughs> and unfortunately, the world is just it, is so unforgiving and is just like it, it gives no care for anyone within it. So you know that it's going to be a bad end for them regardless. Uh, I'm, I'm recently playing through on dark souls remastered and, uh, I never let Anastasia, um, get killed by, um, Latrek. And it's like this time I did. And, uh, losing that bonfire and like going after Latrek and, uh, killing him and getting access to her being able to talk was like that, you know, that opened up a, a whole nother like level of that story that I didn't even understand. <laughs> I, uh, I really, I think that's a really interesting like storyline through that game. Uh, it happened to me the first time I played it. And so I came up out of Blighttown like 
and was just devastated. I had no idea. I was like, what did I do wrong? What it what is happening? Like I had I had no clue who had done it or anything. I got some weird orb. Uh, and in that playthrough, I never actually made it all the way into in Orlando. Um, I, I did. I got to the bonfire in Orlando, but I couldn't make it past the Silver Knights to get out of So I just never had any oh, idea what, what to do with it. Um, but yeah, that the the fight, the actual fight that you have with Lautrec and uh, giving her her speech back, which we think would be like a really nice thing to do. And she's just like, yeah, I probably had Why'd my you tongue ripped out for a re- reason. You shouldn't have done this at all. And I'm like, oh, dang, <laughs> this is sad. I know sinful things that would literally like drive you mad if I told you them. So like. Thanks, I guess. Sure, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> please lock me back in the cage. It's like, oh, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> no, well, I mean, Lucatil is one of the, uh, like, one of the most tragic characters of of Dark Souls too, because like she's sitting there searching for her brother the entire time, and you don't really know whether or not that like her brother is even around like whether or not that that's like a delusion from her being like slowly losing herself to the curse because she you know hides herself behind that mask and like the eventual reveal when she takes it off and you see that she's been you know steadily hollowing and it's like for you for you you've died over and over again and like you know you you might be a rotting corpse right then and there and it's like you know but for her like it's this this horrific like transformation because she you know she's steadily just losing what uh you know like what grasp that she has on herself except for her quest. And eventually that ends up, you know, falling to the wayside as well. And it's just like every single time that, uh, like you said, you interact with these characters, like they end up meeting a bad end and it, uh, gray rat and dark souls three, um, trying to think of like all, uh, like Solaire, if you don't really end up helping him out with the, uh, the chaos maggot, like, like that's a, a real bad <laughs> that's arguably the worst one for a lot of people because it's it's really hard to avoid that outcome and more than likely uh you have you have summoned that dude several times and he has become your friend even if he's kind of an idiot he's become your friend and then all of a sudden you have to kill him and you're like wait what happened my, my boy what happened to my boy and he's one of two npcs that you see throughout the entire game that are actually like friendly and jovial to you so like you know, you end up meeting Sigmire, and it's like Sigmire is this dopey, unlovable, like competent, but like kind of stuck in his his thoughts sort of way, like, uh, but always like running up against something, and you're you're having to kind of like help him along, and eventually he either pays you back for it or you know dies trying, which again bad end, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, then you know Solaire, like you said, is the first person who gives you co op like always shows up before a boss fight, like has been there with you the entire time. And just to be like, Oh, Hey, it's a, Oh buddy. No. (laughs) Why you got that bug on your head? (laughs) Well, let's switch to dark souls three because you, you teased me a little bit earlier by saying you had, you had opinions (laughs) on it. And I know uh, you and Nubish played through most of this together relatively recently. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it was back in December that we actually started it up because the winter steam sale went on and he was able to pick up uh, Dark Souls 3. And I had completely and early dropped the game because when I first started up Dark Souls 3, I wanted to love it. Like, I had jumped right off of the back of uh, Scholar of the First Sin, like, New Game Plus Plus, and was like itching for more Dark Souls. And since I couldn't get Bloodborne, like, Dark Souls 3 was the, you know, the next step in that. And, like, 
those first few areas like High Wall of Lothric and uh, the um, is it the Undead Pair Settlement um, Undead Undead Settlement Yeah, the Undead Settlement um, were like really fun. And it, it had a lot of the same, like, it was a, a good blend of what I liked from Dark Souls 2, which was, like, the dense enemy placement and, like, having to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and this one was hyper-aggressive because of the Bloodborne influences, like, comparatively with all the other Dark Souls. So it was, like, a lot faster. But it had the layout and, like, inspiration from Dark Souls 1 of, like, interconnecting and wrapping levels even if it was you were progressing on sort of like a a linear track to get between zone to zone like the uh, undead settlement has that entire wrapping around area that like gets you to the um the cursed rotted great wood and um the uh i don't remember the the area that leads you corvithian uh, forest or something corvithian something like that yeah the the Corinthian Curvass. Uh, Let's just rename it that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, like it had the exact like it had so much about it that I liked. But the one thing that really threw me off was that with that hyper aggressive nature to it came the enemies having so much stamina and realizing that poise was broken and not what I had originally like you know learned and understood it to be. And the armor had absolutely no way of being upgraded anymore. So it was like, I, I hope you like fashion souls because like, unless you really just are, are fixated upon like having the, you know, the meta best set of, <laughs> of defense in the game, like you're, you're pretty much working on rolling with your health bar and your stamina. Cause Oh buddy, like you're, <laughs> you're not getting much defense. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm torn between that because on the one hand I'd, I dislike upgrading armor because I think it's like a huge upgrade material kind of hole. Um, and it's, I just would rather like do the bloodborne thing of like, it just adds 10% or, or whatever. Um, like I like the percentage right. upgrades and you don't have to upgrade them. But uh, at, at the same time, like that's also like a method of expressing your character as play and it, removing that then removes like some of the, some of the things that you can do within the game. And I, so I'm, I'm kind of torn because I'm way more of a fashion souls person. Like I, I just want to get dressed up and look as hot as possible. So, Right. And I, I love fashion souls as well. I just, I like being able to make my fashion souls more functional because um, like I, you know, I, I dodge roll a lot and like I, I do use a shield and I try and get that hundred, you know, physical resist shield up whenever I can. Cause that's mainly what you're falling back on is your shield. If you're playing a shield build, but mm-hmm. uh, it just, I, I don't know. It, it was one of those situations of it. It felt like that they, yeah, like you said, they had taken away that, that freedom of expression where it's like, I, you know, I, I want to be able to be, I want to look good. And I also want to be able to be successful. It's like, if, if I can't, if I can't look good and I can't be successful, like what's the point in this? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But as we, you know, like, as I ended up going along and like, I, I, I chipped at it and I picked at it and like, I, you know, i fought against my frustrations and I kept taking breaks and going back to it. And like, I ended up getting all the way to, um, the Boreal Valley. And it's like, I've, I got to the big reveal where it's like it, you go up and you find it's like, Oh, uh, this is, this is Anerlando. Like this is the, this is the rotating spiral staircase elevator. Like this is, this is Gwen's tomb. Like this, what's this? And then like the minute that I, uh, I hit Aldrich 
like I just completely and utterly like failed. Like I, I had no problem with with taking on Pontiff Sullivan. Uh, I I got all the way up to Aldrich and like that I I spent everything that I had like every ember that I had on my person trying to summon people in like and I just I could not accept and I could not grasp the idea of like maybe I should just leave this guy alone and go and like fight you know someone else because they they pointed me in that direction and everything that I had heard like all the conversations that were going around was Aldrich you know is one of the like like it's on it's right there on the critical path like take out Aldrich before you go and uh go after Yorm it's like because you 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 know, if you're especially, uh, I believe Bonfire Side Chat, since I usually use them as kind of like a guide to uh, where to go next, like that was where they hit. And I was just like, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't beat this boss. Like, my build was suboptimal. And like, I just, I did not know what the game wanted from me. So I put the game down for a while until we ended up, you know, being able to co op it. And I, you know, I told Nubish, I was like, look, I hate this game. Like this game broke my heart and I, you know, I usually love the dark soul series, but like, I'm probably going to be super negative on this game. And like, he just grinned and he was like, well, if this game broke your heart, let's break it. And like, we, you know, we ended up sitting down and like looking at, you know, okay, what's the game actually wanting us to do? And it's like, for me, I, I was rolling with a dex build. So I learned real quick. It's like, I need a shit ton of stamina like cuz this game is just going to reward me for spamming the shit out of these enemies and like stun locking them if i can get them in a stun lock then they can't do that to me <laughs> and for him it was like i need the longest mana bar that i can ever have ever mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's like you know we're we're rolling with like a mile long you know stamina and mana bar going through the game and it's like okay this is now finally starting to play with like dark souls again like <laughs> I, I it's actually letting like i'm actually progressing and when we got to Aldrich, uh, oh, oh, I'd started falling back in love with the game so much. Like I was like, oh, what? Well, you know, maybe, maybe I was just sour. Maybe it was the wrong time. And then we hit Aldrich, and the two of us couldn't do it. And like, I was thinking of putting the game down and was ready to to quit. And he said, well, let's go to a different area. You know, let's let's see what we can do elsewhere. Maybe we just need to you know level up and get access to some more items or, you know, maybe there's something cool ahead. So we went up, uh, went down and did Yorm, which the, uh, God, the dungeon, like we were giggling to ourselves because all of the, uh, the, like the dungeon keepers and like the torturers, the, uh, they're all in high heels. And whenever they like run at you, they look like a little old lady that has something that is like, she just got to tell you. Cause they're just like, just running at you. And it's like, it's like, oh no, oh no, angry grandma, angry grandma's gonna burn me. <laughs> angry but, grandma. Um, <laughs> we got through the dungeon, and uh, like when we hit Yorm, that's when the game like reopened up back to us because like we got the uh, the secret quest, and like that that cutscene of him coming in to help you out with the Yorm fight is just so badass. I know some people are like, yeah, but then there's like you both have the the ultra cool great sword that is able to slay him but i don't care like it was a cool moment with my onion boy and like i had gotten you know so attached to like seeing him and like that's one part of dark souls 3 that i actually appreciated was kind of the the nods and like fan service it's like sometimes it, it got a little bit annoying but it was nice to see a knight of like katarina still i i didn't need like solaire to literally you know pop up every single time and be like praise the sun and air horns and stuff to go off but like it you know 
that that first moment of him showing up in the cathedral and like he comes up lit like a god because of all the candles around it and you're just like hey i clapped (laughs) (laughs) yeah the uh that that on your bro moment is just is just super good like it's it's just like i i remember like cheering and when that happened in my room by myself right just like yes this is so good i was i was super positive on that whole fight and everything and i was really surprised when like the bonfire side chat boys didn't really care for it that much and some other people didn't like it much either but hey it was fun at the time right and that was really empowering because it's like okay we took out another you know lord of cinder like we already got the um the uh abyss watchers mm-hmm. and it's like we took down them and it's like we, you know we didn't get aldrich but we uh we took down Yorm, and it's like well maybe if we just go and you know try and <laughs> like hit the next thing that we can do we'll you know we we might be able to do this so it's like we kind of took the a different path for it and then eventually ended up coming back to aldrich and killing him and the minute that we hit uh the like actual castle lothric was whenever the game like really opened up for us because like when we hit end game, that's when we had you know finally started grasping what the the game wanted out of us. Like we had essentially kind of broken it to where it's like, okay, you know, this game was already broken as hell. Like so, in order to <laughs> to make it play the way that we're familiar with, we had to just overly invest in so many stats. It's like I, it's a real real grind to to get your character up I, I know that like fletch was using like a cheat engine and got to like 800 and was rolling around through the game and just was like god this is such bullshit i can't imagine what it's like to do this like legit and i'm sitting there just like <laughs> like vibrating <laughs> rage it's a uh, I, I was having this conversation with someone else where uh just talking about how even if you're level 800 you're max you max out all your stats and you have like the best weapons in the game like you still at a fundamental level level have to be able to like deal with the amount of enemies and deal with the amount of um things that the game is going to throw at you like it's it's funny how that's like of all of the ways to change your to 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 set your own difficulty in a souls game like leveling up is is kind of one of the smallest ways to do so right and then like choosing exactly what your build's going to be is like right above that which the um the sorcerer build for dark souls 3 i've heard a lot of people talk about that they had you know difficulty with it because of how aggressive that the play is and i guess because we were co-oping i had you know i was pulling a lot of the aggro as the uh deck shield user i was using a, a sharp and long sword so i i was rolling with like as <laughs> as high decks as i possibly could um i think i actually got it to maybe a scaling with the a or s scaling i'm I'm not 100 percent sure it's like but for him um we ended up getting to like arch dragon peak and this is kind of ridiculous i i had heard that arch dragon peak had the hardest boss in the game like we've we were prepared and like we waited and we're like all right we you know we can take on the uh you know soul of cinder or um our dragon peak and it's like well let's go our dragon peak because i've heard bad things about it yeah at that point um nubish had figured out that i think it's the uh crystal sages uh catalyst that you get from the second crystal sage and the uh the grand archives mm-hmm. that you can apply uh its weapon art on um on yourself and it increases like the effectiveness of your casts and he already had a pretty pretty boss like 
attunement and intelligence. So <laughs> we ended up uh, rolling into that fight, and like we're we're expecting to be super, super slammed into the ground. And like first great heavy soul arrow he gets off staggers the boss. <laughs> Second heavy soul arrow he gets off staggers the boss third heavy solar he gets off staggers the boss and then before we know it we're in the second like phase and he's like this 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 can't be right like this is this is ridiculous so he does it again and we tore that boss down twice like no problem whatsoever and then like we just like had that moment of like getting real quiet and going hardest boss in the game hardest boss in the game <laughs> <laughs> Well, before before we wrap up, uh, I, I know again because we hang out in, in the same discords that uh, you've been playing through Dark Souls Remastered. Um, how how have you been enjoying that compared to your first Dark Souls experiences? Oh, it has been wonderful. Like I'm actually getting to experience Dark Souls as it should be, and like what everyone said, you know, during that period of time about how great that it was, and like how you know. It, it literally set the foundation for everything that we've become obsessed with um, getting to actually play through it and it be functional and have like a silky smooth 60 frames a second and have like actual functional connectivity that works and then adding in all the usability, like having the, uh, the uh, password system that they incorporated in uh, dark souls three, like really added on to being able to co-op it. Like, and hearing the, just Hearing little things like the bell ring constantly because, you know, so many people are playing it alongside me, like, it is such a joyous feeling because it was such an isolating experience playing that originally. And it, it was such a, a lonely time of not having anyone to talk to about it and not having, like, anyone to share in it. And it's like now we're, you know, we're so far, like, from that where it's like, I you know, <laughs> I not only have someone that I've been co-oping the the series with but like the series itself helped us you know bond and like you know now it's like i'm i'm part of a greater community and actually getting to to play dark souls with them and hear like you know their stories and be like you know jumping right in with them because the you know the remaster isn't that old and people are still having a like a, a fun time with it whether it be like speedrunners challenge runs like people who are just you know still going through and like trying out different builds or want that hit of nostalgia and it's like it it's been fun to see that the souls community is still alive and thriving cuz you know it, as i said i've i've always been kind of behind on a lot of things and and coming to it like a tad bit late it's it's been just so uplifting in like the weirdest way cuz it's still hard like i i'm still having difficulty with it i i thought that i was like you know king shit of badass mountain whenever I was able to walk through Taurus and was like, oh, yeah, I could just, you know, stand in his gun and it's not going to do anything but just miss me entirely. And then I got down to Capra and I'm like, oh, right, this this boss is a real motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about Capra. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we're uh, we got to Anne Orlando uh, most recently and like we just conquered the uh, the archers last night, which was like I, I was super proud of that because I sat down and was like, this is probably going to take me most of the night while I was waiting on uh, Nubish to get off from work. And I ended up doing it like my sixth try at, uh, at the run. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess I can wait now because I don't want to go too far ahead. <laughs> so we've, we're about to be uh, 
taking on Ornstein and Smo. We we attempted it, but um, we realized that five Estes might not be enough, especially since the the moment that we got into that <laughs> that fog gate. It's like Ornstein, sixty frames a second, right up inside you. <laughs> it's like I. Maybe we I'm should do this. Need a lot more humanity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Three a.m. is not the time for this. Well, I'm I'm curious as someone who has spent a lot of time co-oping this and co-oping it with their partner. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your what's your ideal from software game? Like they've gotten better and better with the multiplayer and co-op stuff over the years. Um, and then with Sekiro coming out, they've kind of taken a weird step because that's purely single player and there's not going to be any multiplayer in it at all. Uh, but for you, like, what what would your ideal Souls game be next? Oh, okay, so mine doesn't actually have to do with multiplayer. Um, I'm really fascinated with the way that FromSoft is able to like create spaces and characters, and like how lovingly and detailed that they'll like go into crafting them. And um, one of my favorite uh, genres that is like kind of niche, but I love it to death, is the life sim. And I would love to see uh, From Software like create a space that you just live in and kind of like exist in and maybe do it like sort of like Shinmu where it's like a mystery game uh, slash adventure game where it's like you are playing a character and getting to know the people within the environment and like experiencing all of the little details of, you know, discovering like tidbits of lore about things. And it's like, and it doesn't have to be just, you know, quaint, like mundanity. It, it, give me a game in like a Yarnum esque society that's like falling apart and you're just, you know, a, a bystander, like I don't have to have combat or anything within it. Just allow them to kind of, you know, let me have an excuse to exist within these places and like explore more and, and live within these worlds. Cause I, I love immersing myself within them. Like I like to role play, you know, my characters and like, think about where, you know, where possibly they might have come from in the world. And like, you know, why, you know, why I built them this way, like, and come up with like neat little stories with that and like getting to, you know, getting to slip into somebody's shoes that's just like your average everyday person within like a extraordinary situation that like FromSoft would be able to develop would be really cool. And like, I love to interact with the NPCs. Like I, you know, it, it's really goofy, but I, I like making digital friends. It, it's fun to hang out with them. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That seems like a really rad idea. Not one that gets to come up on the show before. I don't think, uh, I'd, as you were talking, it kind of for some reason it triggered a thing in my head, like a like a, a Yarnum version of SimCity, almost, where you just you struggle oh to keep, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Just like, like a, <laughs> no real combat or anything, but like as the as the mayor of Yarnum, I have to try to figure out how to keep the the blood starved beast out of my city. I don't know why I started thinking about that. <clears throat> Roxy, thank you so much for guesting. Thank you for uh, waking up earlier than you normally would to to come hang out with me this morning and tell your story. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Tell everybody where you can be found on the internet should they choose to stalk you. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at MyPetRoxy. And I'm on, I'm pretty much MyPetRoxy everywhere else across the internet. So if you want to find me on Steam or anywhere else like that, just look up MyPetRoxy. Not doing any projects or uh, podcasts at the moment, so I don't have anything else to plug. Cool. Well, if you do, if you decide to start a project or a podcast, let me know and we'll put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> thank you as always i've been your host jeremy greer you can find me on twitter at jg greer you can find the podcast at don't give up skeleton.com if you choose to support the show um let me look at my dates real quick 
yeah, this will be after Sekiro, so I can talk about it. Um, I'm going to start a patron-exclusive podcast over at patreon.com slash skeleton, where I am re-interviewing previous guests uh, and finding out how their opinions of the Souls games have changed in the time between episodes. So I'm pretty pretty stoked about that. I've got some already talked to some of my oldest and first guests, and I've uh, they've agreed to come back onto the show. So that should be a lot of fun. So check all of that stuff out. And uh, as always, thank you for listening and commenting and talking about the show and all of that stuff. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another great guest. And till then, remember, don't give up, skeleton. Mm, awesome.